This is Near Future Laboratory podcast episode 56, a special episode uh, where we are talking about the Manual of Design Fiction, our book, which is still available at themanualofdesignfiction.com for pre-order. So I wanted to talk with Patrick Pittman and Chris Frey, who are collectively No Media Co., who are the folks who shepherd us through the whole process of writing, designing, curating, everything that has to do with the book that we've just produced, the Manual of Design Fiction. And uh, Chris and Patrick, they're, uh, they're friends as well, and so it was, it was really lovely to kind of work alongside of them as we figured out what we were trying to say, how we wanted to say it, the ways in which we wanted to represent all our projects that we've done over the years, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they're super uh, creative, insightful, intelligent folks, and it was just an absolute pleasure to work with them. So I'm really into behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, I like to know how things are made, and so sharing this with you in that same spirit. And I want to say uh, that I'm. it's it's uh, it's regrettable that the, the book has taken longer than we thought to not only produce, but to get in your hands. And uh, I don't know what to say. It's just the the unexpected, unanticipated challenges of global logistics and getting things maneuvered around Central Europe uh, has proved to be uh, a bit of a a bit of a challenge. But they're on their way. Word is it that they are on a on a truck <laughs> uh, that is winding its way to Berlin. And they are expected to arrive at our distribution guy on Tuesday, which would be December sixth, and then we'll we'll be shipping them out to all the lovely patient pre-order people at that point. Okay, so here's my conversation with No Media Co. Patrick Pittman and Chris Frey. Do that over, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, but you know he's go gonna back in the, go, go, go back in the past to get in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're talking about the book that we all collectively got together to 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 put out in the world, the manual design fiction. It started with this initially with this idea of doing a studio book. So like one of the, almost like a catalog resume. I don't know what they call them, but you know, like, like the book that you come up with. Yeah, like a monograph. Yeah. And that was, I think, I want to say it was like 800 spreads that we had put together. That was, least, uh, I think it was 900. Yeah. Yeah. Something insane. I'm saying like over that. a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> it wanted something uh, that felt like, okay, you know, this is, th- that was an era. It was a time. You know, we, there was a bunch of work and there wasn't anything that really collected it. And it also felt like that the internet was like kind of slightly falling apart. Even like the other day, I went to a thing that was on the Walker Art Center and there was a link to the Near Future Laboratory and that link was broken. Hmm. you know, th- those kinds of stuff. So how do you preserve that? So something, and then that big catalog resume kind of monograph book felt didn't feel right. Cause it, it felt like it was just, it was the kind of thing that, you know, the three of us and maybe like another dozen people in the world would have, cause it would cost 115 bucks. Yeah. Um, but it didn't, it didn't really talk to the audience that I thought could really benefit from, from the practice and the kinds of things we do and the, the way in which we look at the world and the kind of the particular kind of translation of ideas into the future that I thought could be helpful. And so then this came up with this idea of doing essentially a book that is still on my way. I mean, this one doesn't quite 
doesn't quite get there, but gets really close. I think it will be in the next edition when we do a paperback that that Yvonne hands to uh, you know Augie, the CEO, and says, "Hey, just this came in. Read this on your flight from London to New York." And when Augie, the CEO, arrives in New York, he gets on the phone back to Yvonne. He says, "Like, love what these guys are talking about. Send the plane. I want to talk to him this afternoon." Send <laughs> the plane. Yeah, this is my this is my <laughs> fantasy vision of what the book does. <laughs> And that's what and we kind of, that, that was the brief station. Yeah. yeah that's, and that's what yeah. we tried to, that's what we had tried to help you achieve. So yeah. remember, remember us when you get that flight invitation, if there's extra room. I, I think I, I, I'm trying to cast my mind back to those really early conversations. And it is interesting to think about this state or that this idea of a project was in and the work that you all had put in for the, putting together this epic, we'll call it a monograph for shorthand, it was something a little different. But I think you, all the four of you in your way had a nagging feeling that we could, we we need to be doing something better than that or something different than that that gets toward the kind of thing you were just talking about. One of the interesting things for us at the very start was, I think, and it is part of what the energy of what makes the Near Future Lab great is, you didn't all necessarily have the same idea of what that would be either. It was just this sense of there is a moment for design fiction. There is something happening. I think we can all feel it. And yeah, there's, right. there's an idea that is growing out there in the world that, you know, we've, we kind of kicked this off and we think there's something we have to say. And I think you knew that you needed to do something more than just show off what you've done, but instead argue for a way of thinking and, and, mm. and a kind of a, a mindset. And then, you know, it's like, okay, so how do we do that? How do we do that in a way that that matters to people? And then it was like, yeah, do we go out? Do we look for a publisher for this? Do we try and get ourselves in airports? Do we, you know, wh what do we do? And when I think back to the conversations we had about that, I, I think what Chris and I really realized was the important thing was to focus on figuring out what it was that you had to say for that overall kind of narrative of this and help you really refine and, and craft this way of talking about design fiction that you that was kind of a, a little all over the place before there was in, in multiple yeah. different yeah. directions and it was that process of doing it and to me it felt like the work of doing that needed to start before we were talking about should we have a publisher or that kind of thing mm. and then as we had the momentum for the project it was very clear that the best way to realize this would be to keep it entirely as like a self-controlled project in which you can really focus in on that fine craft of saying it right and as as you mean to and you know if when you think of every different aspect of that from you know, the how you structure a book to how you make particular narratives, how you talk about the, the broader world of your practice, how it's designed, how you choose the particular fabric. All of these things are, are bound together in a way that I th think it felt like for, for this, it all needed to be kind of under one roof. I don't know, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, um, I guess that there's 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 two threads there that kind of merge for me. And I mean, one thing off the top is, I think coming to the practice, I mean, Patrick 
was a lot more familiar with it than I was mm -hmm. and actually had a previous relationship with you, right? So in a helpful way, I was kind of the the dumb audience that needed mm. themselves to kind of better understand things that maybe were already known or already spoken amongst the group of you, right? And so as I started to engage, it felt kind of organic. Like here we were presented with this massive monograph, right? That like sprawled in infinite number of directions. <laughs> um, but what that didn't quite capture is all the thinking behind it. I mean, sometimes you don't want to explain, but I mean, in the end, we opted for something that's called the manual. So we do the heavy work of kind of going through the origins, um, both of how you guys came together and how these different projects emerge and the thinking behind them. And, and I, I know for me, like engaging with it, I think a lot of how it arrived with it now, not to make it about me, but part of it reflects was my trying to get a sense of you guys and, and feel my way through like this kind of terrain you've created and, and also trying to distill like four very distinct voices, right? In completely different fucking cities. Yeah, uh, yeah. Two different continents. Yeah. Um, yeah, and no, more than cities, background. like countries and continents and yeah, time zones and, then, and everything. And then trying to somehow distill that in a coherent whole. And I feel like our, I think it was, it's really reflective of the process, process of us working with you. And I think there's all this ancillary stuff and all these digressions that you would only get to through the approach we took other than a monograph, because like, whether it's like observations about business or technology or change, like stuff that wouldn't eat as easily, I think, surface mm -hmm. as it would being a little more direct, as I think we've tried to be while retaining a lot of the playfulness that's inherent to what you do. You yeah. know, and I think and then on a more practical level, I know from my experience in publishing, the sense was that being somewhat doubtful that a traditional or semi-traditional publisher would ultimately let you do the book you'd want to do and, yeah. and give you the freedom you had. Cause for better or worse, they, yeah, I mean, they, they often have pretty precise ideas of what they want to market. And I think just sort of like taking the bold leap to, to, to DIY it was, I think, yeah, we wouldn't have the book we ended up with if we'd gone any other way. I don't think. So I think it all kind of like squeezes together. I know, and I know there were times that maybe this is like a, 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 a secret from my end, but I know the way I approached a bit of my work with it was to treat the book itself as a design fiction project or <laughs> as a fictional quartet of people yeah. <laughs> that may or may not exist. <laughs> yeah, you've been pilled, man. You've been pilled. <laughs> this isn't real. This <laughs> isn't so, uh, he doesn't know for sure helpful. that I didn't deep fake you, Julian. He's right. told. It's still going <laughs> that's, on. That's right. Well, I, I actually, I, I really like that. There are a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about that. So the idea, so, you know, I, not, you, maybe you don't know, but maybe you infer like the, I was like adamantine about it being the manual. And part of that is like, I wanted that extra layer of, I wanted it to be, you know, to feel like this thing that came from this adjacent present or future world like um as if you know i don't know you could think about a whole bunch of levels but one was my instinct was that's the right title because it kind of it triples down on the whole design fiction thing and that you can you can, it's you know just like the layers are waiting there to be kind of revealed and i think there's something about the definitely for the um the design fiction true believers or whatever you know so like the people who've already like pre-ordered the book and, and they're like oh, whatever it is i don't care it's a book cool i'll have it 
Um, they just they want the stuff that they're gonna that they they'll get a chuckle from that, like because it's it's almost like it came from this world where like the possible worst thing happened to design fiction was that actually McKinsey put out a manual for it. <laughs> so it's just like you know a five step instruction thing for their uh, whatever the well agents are. Yeah, so like let's just, let's just make it impossible for them to do that because they'd be like ah these guys well. And by McKinsey, you mean IDEO. Yeah, slash IDEO, slash all, all those things. Yeah, asterisks. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's also why, so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, just a little kind of, just felt the compulsion, partially motivated by Patrick, um, who, when, when I did that, you'll remember when I did that, that one pager that I found so, that made me so infuriated in a beautiful way to have to do. It's like, but we have this big book. How could you possibly just want a one pager to succinctly describe design pictures? But then it became like, that's a fucking really good question. Like, what is the one pager? So, anyways, when we were doing that, like, you were like, oh, this might be like, it might be cool, you know, anything that could go along with the book, whether it's a, uh, you know, a, a crappy paper. Um, what did you describe it? Like the placemat that you get I at a diner? I, did call it a pl- I think I did call it a placemat, which is yeah. kind of like a. a, a, a I'm going back into boardrooms in my in my mind there. And oh, is that an idiom for that from that it's world? It's a deliverable. Yeah, the placemat okay. is an official deliverable really? of the corporate world. The yeah. well, otherwise, they spilled it. By Patrick Otherwise, they're going to spill the like donut sugar on the table proper. So you need <laughs> like an actual placemat. So you may as well put information on it. At least that's my understanding of what they came to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so working on essentially that in a slightly longer form that I'm calling the uh, the reader's guide to the manual design fiction, which kind of cracks me up. It's like the cliff notes. <laughs> you know? The reader's guide to the manual. That yeah. may be the most Julian Bleaker thing I've ever heard. Um, yeah, so, so there was that. And the other thing, so Chris, I'm curious, like from your perspective, being, you know, as you framed it, um, sort of less, you know, at the at the at the entry point to the project, less kind of like read into design fiction and maybe not getting the inside jokes or whatever's well, going on. Funny, funny thing though, is that I was only halfway through the process of working with you guys that like, I, I did have some ambient sense of design fiction. And then it was only months later that I realized that when I was the editor of Hazlitt, that it actually assigned a big article about design fiction to a guy. And so it was like 10 years <laughs> later, I'm like, oh yeah, I actually assigned somebody to write this piece about it. It was like obviously referenced you. And uh, so yeah, there was something sitting in my bracket in my brain maybe that just needed to be unlocked. Yeah. Um, so it, so it must've been like super interesting for you to kind of, because you know, you're, 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 you're discovering it as you're trying to find the way to represent it, which I think is, is something that was, um, now that I kind of reflect on that, it, like invaluable, like in the sense of like, okay, how can I get this to be meaningful to me, who is while I'm also learning about it, so that it actually is like, okay, now, you know, I get it as I'm kind of describing yeah. it and kind of bringing refinement. Because well, I know I find, just, I find that myself, I just go, I just go off the deep end. Like yeah. I just become super Baroque in trying to describe it because it's, <laughs> Almost for me, it's like, again, okay, what new idioms and metaphors and analogies can I use to kind of double down on this? Yeah. Um, I think it was just so much stuff to nerd out on mm. as well. And my inclination is always when I'm in hard-ass editor mode is like, why, why, okay, why, <laughs> how? Yeah. Like, 
you know, it's just ask all the, the stupid, boring questions one is required to ask. But yeah, like even from the very beginning, like I'm really happy that we somewhat started chronologically with like the ubiquitous computing mm -hmm. stuff. Cause that was that even understanding that is kind of like a framework for how so much work today is still done. Like following what's like, I don't know how old is that idea? Like 30 years now Yeah, more, maybe I can't remember. Um, but yeah, all along the way, like with each of you, there was just such a fascinating tangent what could potentially take. And I, and I, one of the things I like about the book is somehow in a very structured way, we allowed for all these like what are essentially digressive features that essentially are not maybe necessary in the book, but I think are what make for some of the more interesting stuff. Mm. And I think, yeah, that's what, again, like you guys have just different backgrounds. There's so many layers and sometimes differences opinion, even about the same thing and trying to think through those and challenge you guys at times to like never to come up with like the orthodox view or mm -hmm. take on something um but still find like that like that hazy space where you all fit right that's at this interesting conjuncture and it was just, yeah it was just a lot of fun to go on like all these different tangents and whether it's it was like acquainting myself with certain things or just like diving into what was for me new material and try to bring draw out the depth um in your thinking and, and playfulness that may not have come across in a monograph hmm. i think the, the one of the moments where i i felt like the overall book was clicking and where i definitely felt like okay like chris is getting into the groove of, of this now and, and seeing it and that being very good from what he talked about for that outside perspective as well, and like making this a coherent narrative, was when um, he focused in with Nicholas on the chapter on the Jatari stuff and that kind of history. And you're talking about the McKinsey version of a design fiction book. I know for a fact it would not give Nicholas Nova the space to talk about <laughs> Jatari and 8-bit chip tunes for as long as this book does. Yeah, And yet... I think that's one of the most important chapters in this book. And we were talking about maybe exiting it. I'm like, maybe it's that, maybe, maybe it's that. And it was like the, the seeing that, finding that, that space for that weirdness that creates the cohesive whole of it, I, I think is really oh, cool. So, so get into that. Like, what is it specifically about that? Cause there, there were, I mean, so you guys did a remarkable job of kind of like, of, because there were there were some things that I, you know my instinct would have been like ah, I don't know but but you know with an incredible amount of trust just kind of like okay these guys just let them do their thing, and not to say that I don't love that work or that or that object itself like I'm so glad like when I flip through the book I'm so glad that that thing is sitting there, you know visually, mm -hmm. um, it my 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 first instinct it would have been like I, I don't see where this fits and the same thing with the apparatus which mm -hmm. again it was another thing where I was like. I'm going to, I'm just, yeah, okay, if you say so, if you say so. I think it's, Julian, you and I were having a conversation earlier on a, on a different topic where we were talking about the difference between coming up with the idea and executing, and you were, you were talking about, you know, the difference between a magician knowing how to do a card trick and, you know, having a list of, you know, having the 200 great card tricks to do step by step, etc. And I think what that chapter does extremely well is depict a very special way of looking at the underside of the world, looking mm. at the broken bits, looking mm. at and looking at the way that people 
work and interact and improvise that is actually at the core of so much of what design fiction is you know you talk about the um you know the the mundane and focusing in on the everyday and the bits that get left behind i think what that chapter does is, is show a, a way like what and what some of the exercises in there do as well is sort of talk about just a way of appreciating hmm. the world and improvising and it's that it's that mindset stuff yeah. that is you know, and you know, like full disclosure, I, I think the three of us had a lot of fights over whether this book should be called the Manual of Design. Oh, we totally, right, did. By the way. we totally yeah. did. I, I, I'm going to say you were right, but it was the stuff like that that yeah. was like this isn't this isn't about a manual in that sense because that's not a step by step thing. It's a way of thinking and a way of looking that is pretty special. Yeah, and I, I think that comes across in that chapter. It comes across, like Chris says, for all four of you in different places in the book. Like you all get your chance to solo, and then yeah. you know you come back and everybody applauds. It's relatively cohesive, I, I think. I mean, and for me again, like it's like all the different entry points that are possible into your work. And that's just another of them. I mean, obviously the Jatari thing is somebody else's work, but more importantly, it's just like this, more of this like, here are all these interesting places you may not normally look where you may want to pay attention, right? Like often underneath our noses. Um, and whether it's like the way different subcultures or microcultures have like engaged with a certain technology or whatever, like, yeah, it's just like another one of these digressive little bits that, a is like another entry point into your world, but B is just a reminder of all the different ways in which we can be or could be paying attention, right? And the places where we might not be noticing. And so, yeah, again, like it goes to that idea of mindset, right? Mm -hmm. And and looking at maybe some of the places you would normally look. And it's just like a cool thing too, <laughs> like making reggae with like, yeah. with, you know, yeah. What are those processors? Those old Commodore processors? Yeah. Sid chip. Yeah. Yeah. Sid chips. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's like that. Um, I guess that that's the, well, it's, it's an obvious advantage of, of doing things on your own independently publishing or whatever. Um, but more to the point, yeah, now I see it like the, the, the thing that is sort of like intimate to the, um, what's another word for mindset. I'm gonna try to find another word, um, to the, to the, like the sensibility, sensibility. Yeah. yeah, to the, to the vibe, I guess the kids say nowadays, which is a good word. It's a good word. Like what, what's the, what's the, what's the, the energy around this thing that, you cannot maybe you cannot put into analytic terms, but it's just like I mean the word you you guys were using was like it's cool, and you can't devalue that. It's not something. It's not cool in the kind of throwaway way. It's like it's cool. I feel something from this thing, and it feels associated with what this container we're calling a book is getting into, and I'm glad for it in that sense. And and maybe you know to kind of pull from what seems to be the 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 uh, the analog du jour for design fiction. It's like it's the thing that the archaeologist would pull out of the ground. Mm. 
when they're unearthing and trying to understand the civilization and be like, whoa, stop everything. What is this? Everyone, no one move. Like, let, let's just let's just all focus on getting this thing out of the ground carefully and intact and try to study it. And 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 it, it doesn't have to be. A flying car that comes from this world, it can be these weird things that don't only make sense and maybe only make sense in a very particular uh you know in in not in a dismissive way but in a beautiful way a niche of material culture mm. and that is these people who you know who in their in in with their their rich evocative vivid imaginations are like we're going to turn that sid chip into something else because that thing on its own is remarkable and we can feel into what it could create and the kind of world that it would actually lead to and this is what it looks like here's the thing and Nicholas Nova is that guy with the keen eye and the observational instinct to be like that thing. And you wonder why, you know, you might wonder why, like, why does he have an entire storage room in his basement filled with game controllers? Don't worry about it. Trust him. It's going to be <laughs> amazing. It. It's going to be amazing. Just let him do his thing. And when, you, when you do then extending and overextending your archaeologist analogy, when you do look at that and you're dusting it off and you're all reverent around the object which you know is the crappy spoon or whatever like that thing that really tells the story you know you're led to ask what are the set of circumstances that led people to make these particular decisions what is the surrounding society that creates this why did they make this weird compromise what you know this is clearly hand soldered like this is not a mass produced item but why what was the use case for that and when you argue for design fiction as a design practice and, and like the possibilities of it or as a practice for like strategic thinking in in better ways it is really getting into like the questions underneath those material questions are questions of human behavior and motivation yeah and that that's at the core of all of this right yeah, it's not it's not to find it's not to be like, oh, I guess, well, should we make a bunch of Jatari machines uh, and mass produce those? Or, it's not that it's really you're trying to get to the thing beneath it, which I think mm-hmm. is I think people get. But also, I think it, it, it takes a little bit. It takes more effort when you're not proposing something that is just going to deliver you what you think you need which might be a website like why do we have to do all this design fiction stuff i'm pretty sure all we need is a website well you know maybe but that seems easy enough it's gonna sort out it it's do do you want to understand the world in which this website might exist do you want to understand you know all the stuff that you're trying to do to understand like consumer behaviors or consumer trends like do you you might it might be useful to like do the kind of predictive analysis that it, you know what a lot of agencies might do, but also what is the world at that place when you figured out that that uh, that the that the color next season is orange and that the material choice is probably muslin or merino wool? Like okay, and and what else? What's for breakfast? And I think it's the what's for breakfast question that to me is. Well, A, it's the most interesting one. And B, it's the one that I think really allows you to expand your, you know, your creative consciousness around the world that you're kind of creating. And in those, you find all those things. Like I was going through the project that we're working on that, 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 uh, you know, beep, I can't say. I, I, I was, you know, just looking through it now. It's just like, uh, not only is this like really cool, like I'm feeling it. I'm also like, 
I don't know. That seems like a good idea to me. Maybe someone should be working on that particular, you know, little consumer product. It sounds right. You know? To be clear, they're not all meant I mean, to be good ideas. No, they're not all good ideas. But you know, some of them are kind of like they nudge into a kind of thing where maybe if you were, maybe if you had, you know, a particular kind of a particular kind of operation, kind of business, could be like, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm learning something about that, and what you created is actually inspiring me to think about something that I wouldn't have thought about before. Or now I can talk about something that before I was maybe a little bit either unsure to talk about or embarrassed to talk about, or it just felt like off topic, even though my heart was telling me like, no, I think there's something here. You can start expressing it. And design fiction it, it, it becomes that way of representing the things that maybe in the, you know, in the, in the design meeting, you're less likely to present because it, it feels like it's not, uh, um, you know, on track or on, you know, it, it's not the, not the focus. It's not the, you, you, you start moving into the periphery of what that world might look like. And some people might be like, I don't get it. We're just working on this one bulb. Why are you talking to me about breakfast cereal? One thing that um, when you talk about the Jatari chapter and Stories like that in the book, I think another thing that they do, not only in terms of opening up a mindset, but in each of those cases, like I think also of where we're talking about the early thought object experiments that you did. And um, often these stories are just also an opportunity to point to some of the underlying influences and sort of like the conceptual substrata, I think, of your practice. And so whether it's the thought objects leading into a conversation about David Kirby and mm. and his ideas about representations of science and cinema, or in the case of the Nicholas's Jatari stuff and and that leading into consideration of like creolization and the ideas of Edward Glisson. Um, so they they're there because they're interesting stories that go into but some background about your practice and what informs it. But then I think there's all these other thinkers that get raised up in the process, right? That have been important to you, each of you in different ways. That's right. And I think that's another sort of hopefully like an intellectual strength of the book, too, is that it's not just like this, you know, wow, but you're trying to put some sort of conceptual shape on what you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you would have done differently? Even even in reflection, like looking back, like, oh, it might have been. No. It feels like the book is like the book. I mean, the process is the book and the book is the process. <laughs> like that was, I don't know. I'm not going to say like once we went down that road, it was always going to be the object it is. But yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything I would do differently. I wish I had a good answer for that. Yeah, for me, I, I think it is one of those, yeah, because it, it is such an exploratory process. Like, it's not the sort of, I'm sure we did give you a quote at the start that didn't match there, but it's not the sort of thing where you can say it's going to take 12 weeks and at the end you'll have X, X words. It was, we, and we, we did know this going in and we did all these maps and conceptual maps of ways this could go, which... Thinking back, I haven't thought about those in a while. Those were pretty cool. We should dig those up. Um, but 
you know, it was, we need to go through a process of creation to help refine a way of thinking. And it was realizing that that was the process of, of this book. I think we sort yeah. of knew it all along, but you know, if you, the obvious answer is like, you know, well, we would have, <laughs> would have liked it to have taken less time but it was the time it needed to take right and it's not mm, the yeah. you could not project manage this better to that because this was a, a process for this that is really bringing together you know so many years worth of work but also so many different modes of, of different complementary modes of thinking and practicing and like that the discovery of figuring out how you put ideas of Edouard Glissant alongside David Kirby, alongside Nick Foster, alongside Fabian, alongside you, you know, it's like, how does that all cohere into one overall thing? Mm -hmm. Like, I think you realize along the way that that's the work and it, it's good work, right? And then how do you, you know, bringing you know, Chris Lange into the process who did like a really great job on the art direction for it and him, you know, he had the often thankless job, I suppose, of saying, great, no, but I have to design this as a, as a book, as, a, as an object. So what's the materiality of that? What's the, how do you get add that dimension of storytelling into it to, you know, make it that fully realized three-dimensional object that is more than a placemat, is more than those other things. I think there was so much learning along the way for what the right form for that would be. Mm. Um I think, yeah, there were points where I think we all thought, should we just have made a simpler book? Should we have, you know, focused in on these other things? But that answer was always no, you know? It seemed like the closer we got to the end of it, the the more it kind of felt like this is, this is the thing it needed to be. Um, we got to print with the... Like, favorite printer in the world that I'd always wanted to work with in Istanbul you know we didn't like we didn't do any of these compromises that you would often have to do to actually realize something like this and I think you know the investment of energy and emotion and getting it to that point feels kind of worth it at this stage but mm. the body has no memory for pain right so that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would say the as much as it was an exploratory process, I think the kind of sequencing or like the table of contents that we kind of initially came up with ended up being, what we ended up with ended up being fairly true to the original structure, I think, an arc that we had for the book. And so maybe that did help as a kind of anchor um, so that we could indulge in some digressions here and there and, and weave in as much as we tried to do. But I, yeah, I think that in the end, I, I think the contents that we came up with early on is kind of one of our saving graces, I think. Because it did help to have that map and it, and it ended up, I mean, I think whatever it's so far back, I don't even remember well the original discussions we had, but whatever, however they happened and it resulted in that those decisions to sort of structure in that way, I think was a huge, huge help. And it allowed us to kind of at the same time be more playful and, and stick some other things around it, you know, whether it's all the ephemera and sidebars or exercises and stuff like that. It all it all holds together really well. And it's like got all these different layers and endpoints. It's one of those books you can kind of start almost anywhere, mm. you know, and just double back like you don't have to read it in, you know, its proper sequence. I'm thinking about one thing that didn't make it in from that initial plan, 
and it's interesting to me now that it it didn't and i i think it goes like it's it, it just comes from an increasing security in in the voice of this and that there was something to, to say but i think a lot of the original plan actually relied you know on bringing in essays from others to explain why design fiction matters oh, and yeah. was important and like you know let's get some other people in here let's like get like, like let's get a forward from somebody to yeah. say this oh, design fiction matters here's that. why we should take this seriously yeah it's it, those are the sort of things you think you'll need to do because like we have these conversations about you know some fictional impatient ceo the one who you're trying to get to book the flight you know um that they need to be you know they need the shorthand version of why this matters and that's quick and you know with all sympathy to the people who do have to deal with ceos that won't read the thing and are impatient and all of those things i i think we checked our instinct very quickly to feel like we had to compromise in that direction and to you know and instead to to really focus in on no the near future laboratory the these four guys us chris and me and chris lange as well between all of us and isra as well who was a, a big part of this and you know um they have something worth saying and there is there is a book there in that and the people it resonates with don't need to then read four essays by other people right. explaining why it matters. Yeah, I'd it's forgotten crazy. about that. It just would have felt like a needless justification. Like mm. it, like there, you felt like there was something weak enough about the book. That yeah, a little desperate. A little desperate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I had totally forgotten about that. Now the gatefold board game. I don't know how we dropped that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were going to do the thing with like the think that was an idea to do like the thinky stuff on one side and the manual on the other or put them in a box or that sort of separate them out <clears> so there was just like a little a little book of how to's and a little book of why to's and again like I, I think what we realized along the way you probably already knew it a lot better than I did was that you can't separate those out in this you know and we're selling people a manual, but the manual says there's no manual, and that's the nature of this. <laughs> and it, you know, this is. Um, I think about that as, as this goes out into the world, and like it does have that audacious the manual of design fiction, you know, claiming a space that um, is not only your space, right? You don't own it. Um, you can't own a term like that, even if you were you and Bruce originated that. It is, it is an idea and a concept and, that, and a way of working, and you're arguing for that, right? You're yeah. arguing that this should be a practice and there is no one way to do it. And I kind of knew that, you know, it'd probably throw some people off to say, well, who are these guys to say how I should do design fiction? And the thing that they will realize as they read the book is that's kind of the approach of you all. It's very much there is a way to do it, but the main thing that we're arguing for here, and we do have step by steps, but every step by step that's in there is a also saying there are other ways to do yes, this, right? right. Um, but the the stuff that is kind of not negotiable to your version of it is that approach to looking at the world, the curiosity, mm. the thinking, the questioning, 
And I think it's okay to say that anybody practicing design fiction needs that, and anybody that would argue otherwise probably needs to think about why they're arguing that. So, you know, there's there's that interesting line between saying, this is design fiction, this is how you do it, and inviting and opening up the space for practitioners to do it. And I think, you know, when we started on this project, you didn't have a Discord with close to a thousand people on it, you know, all engaging with this in their own way and collaboratively and independently um you know it's and it's not like on there it's it's you sitting at the top saying you know this is only one way to do it i i enjoy watching you engage with people on there about ideas of is this design fiction is it not what makes it that having these questions and i think the book is sort of doing that in, it, in its own way as well Yeah, it's funny because it's like, it's a, it's a funny line because I want to, I want to I, I, I be, you know, like inclusive. And also I want to be like, no, 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 that's not quite right. And, and I, but, and, and how do you do that from, from your, from one's own point of view without, you know, you know, constantly saying like, well, what I think and how I think, and there is, there is a little bit of, there is a little bit of, um, I guess it's somewhere between responsibility and being uh, a benevolent there's, like, <clears throat> there's a great or line. dictator or something. I'm pretty sure it's, it's yours that's in the book. And the, I, I think the level I appreciate it at um, is, okay, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of these like steps and I want to call them rules, quasi-rules and stuff, but like you can do it your own way. But then you had this line about, but but who doesn't love like arguing over the differences of different genres of Norwegian death metal or something like <laughs> that? Like there is a sense of fun that comes in sometimes yeah. of just like debating these rather fine, insignificant points that if not like yield a big thought are, you know, amusing or kind of lead to other digressions or stuff or interesting comparisons. But yeah, yeah, I can't remember the exact line, but I think it was it was something like that, like. Yeah. Who doesn't, who doesn't, who doesn't enjoy debating? <laughs> there is a, there's a thing I think within some, um, practitioners within the, I don't know what you call it, like the broader space of, you can't even, there's no hierarchy, you know, people want to have a hierarchy, but there was, a, there was, a, there was a, a quite a bit of time when people were drawing maps, right. Mm. Of what fits where and these kinds of things and what, what it means. And then there was like, then there was the inevitable backlash, like, uh, come on really like this should we maybe we should just do the work um and and let all that and i think part of that was instructive it was almost like we had to have the argument um it, the productive creative argument it wasn't like fisticuffs i mean almost about the title of the book right and for me the benefit of doing that was i didn't you know i didn't feel it in the moment of those, you know, kind of spread out over many calls and weeks and whatever it was, but it was more like, why is my, why is my instinct telling me to name it this? Like, why do I dream about it being called that? And where I don't have, I don't have the answer. I can't tell you. It's like, it, it feels right. But then we have to have the argument in order for me, like at least me and maybe other people, you know, me to become more articulate about it. Like the fuck did that dream mean? 
You know, like why why was it a manual? Was this when you took psilocybin and then you had your vision for <laughs> what to name the book? No, you so saw the renders of the grand the can, vision. The book as a can. I yeah, it's ketamine it nowadays, dude. Ketamine. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, no, it was nothing of that sort. It was more. It was. It was. But it was that. It's like you know. I didn't realize until afterwards. It's like if if I were doing it on my own. It would have just been called that, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't have had anything to really backfill in it as to why, except over time, because then someone would have said like, "Oh, why is it called a manual?" And I've been like, um, you know, scratch, scratch, scratch head. Well, I think maybe because, and this was sort of feeling, and isn't it cool? And I, I collect manuals, so maybe somehow that kind of fits, you know, like all those things. And then you know, and I could have gone probably the easiest loop back is to go back to uh, um, Joseph France um, Starfleet technical manual. I mean, that's probably what it is, actually, now that I say it out loud. That's where it started, you know, seeing that and being like a technical manual for something that doesn't the fuck exist. And what is going on there? Why? Who would do that? What a waste of time. But yeah, then someone does. Works for 46 me, years later, it's still in print. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and all the tinpole Star Trek franchises have their technical manual because this guy was like, I don't know. Seems like a fun thing to do. And I mean, I think if the backstory that we include as a footnote is true, that the actual, the technical manual success, because the TV series that I had long ended, um, but it was what revived interest in Gene Roddenberry actually making, turning it into a movie franchise. And so it actually played like a pivotal role in popular culture. And that's a level that we're like what you're referring to is the level it works at for me, which is more to like a nod to the material culture that mm. you're kind of, you know, yeah. um, that you're working in. Um, and the the manual, like it's this weird tension between sort of tongue in cheek and yet like we've gone to the trouble of like doing all this process oriented stuff and like following a certain like, you know, logical argument and uh as though it were a manual so is it a ruse or is it real i don't know <laughs> yeah it was important to be, for me like i really wanted to have exercises in there i think i was the only one that was like pushing hard yeah. for that and again it was like do we expect the readers do these exercises actually i mean the good exercises I, I think but again the point is in those it's using the the tools and the tropes of what a manual is to just again say is a way of looking a little bit sideways yeah. uh, and getting past. I think that. what you, I think what you said, Patrick, is we need some CEO content here. Let's include some exercises. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to give the more intellectual reasoning now. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't but think no, CEO is going to do those exercises. Yeah, I would, I would love to see. Yeah, but it, it is that you know, so much of that. And we, what, like a quarter of the book is procedural and not procedural mm-hmm. in a, you know, series by Dick Wolf sort of way, but in a, like, going through things <laughs> sort of step by step. But dun, 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 it, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> for design practitioners. Anyway, um, they, what am I trying to say? Oh, they've, what a lot of that is about is about, bringing individuals and groups and practitioners and colleagues past the mental blocks for seeing other ways the world can be. Yes. Right. And yes. so 
the getting the there's a refrain of like the getting past the that'll never happens right that i think is really what a lot of the exercise parts of this book are about digging into and mm -hmm. saying okay but what if it did yeah and and working through that and i mean i know that this other project that we've been working on in the, in the last few months that's been one of the really interesting things about it is starting from a premise of something that logically won't happen and I, I don't think would happen in the sense of like this world and, and where you might land in it but the questions it triggers about so many implications of work and society if it did you, you know bringing that takes you back to really valuable and tangible ways of thinking about your job and your work and your task that you have in that space right now right yeah, yeah. and that's what about the, those exercises are about nudging you into that way of thinking yeah that's right that's right is that your right of saying we should have called it the workbook of design fiction design fiction technical manual could have <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's well, another I'm, one that's <laughs> just a knows. whole bunch of schematics archetype schematics can we do yeah. that one yeah it's interesting to think about if there were you know like when um back in whatever primary school or whatever you would i remember we would you would have there were workbooks right and there were some mm -hmm. i mean i can even feel the paper now and it would be things where it's like you work through yeah you work through problems you know like whatever algebra or something but you scribble in them it's an interesting archetype mm -hmm. you know what would be the work be like should have included some blank pages where just with people can draw their own schematics and, and throw into the book. Yeah. That's it. I mean, honestly, like as we were looking out there and like trying to think like thinking about audiences for a book like this, and it's like that is what people want. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of like so if you're a um you know, if, if you're a designer or if you're a strategist and you're working either with or for a large company and you might have heard about design fiction you might want to do it and then we were reading a lot of kind of and again this predates the discord and i think discord might have helped with this but that we're reading a lot of people saying i do want to do this but i don't there's i need i need guidance i need to know what to do and so you see did you see some people like improvising some posts of like ways of doing things and whatever and then you see you guys going like that's not the right way and then okay well let's step back let's think about how we how we systematize those things and i i think again we realized that we wouldn't be helping those people necessarily by giving them that maybe as a decide but maybe as a little accompaniment afterwards i still kind of want to do this but you know in the sense of where to start with it as a practice and an independent yeah. kind of practice yeah you can't separate out the thinking yeah and i also I have to keep i have to remind myself and i don't remind myself enough that what is um what has become instinct just speaking for me personally for other people is kind of like alien like what are you talking about and that and i think that comes you know comes from like probably a lot of things including uh having gone to montessori school but i think part of it is like i i take for granted that people people can people have the the ability to imagine as you as you know patrick as you know where i'm like okay we're going to get into the near future laboratory's crappy time travel machine and it's leaking a little bit of this stinky oil and it's got this one button with a red tag on it that says please repair as soon as possible and we're going to get in this thing we're going to go to the future and some people are like 
fuck you on boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but for me, that's like, that's what happens. And you, in, in, in the beautiful moments where people are like, okay, let, um, yeah, take me by the hand. Like, how does this work? Um, but I think that, that is the, you know, the manual part of it. Like, how does it work? How do you get your imagination to go to these other worlds and bring these things back? And then just to, you know, bring back the, the magic uh, book um, example where it's like, you can read the magic book, you know, the beautiful 300, you know, 500 magic, close in magic tricks uh, with 300 illustrations. You can read that front to back a hundred times. It's still going to take you 10 years to get that, you know, and the practice and going out and doing it. And I think that's the, that's the thing that uh, I guess to a certain degree makes, makes, puts me in a more comfortable position to say that, but not that this is how you do it. And now try it again, try it again, try it again. Mm. Um, yeah. I think an, another important sort of behind the scenes thing to me, I don't know if you guys feel it the same, but to me, like a crucial ingredient of the book. And I, I would suspect it would be a very different book. If in fact we hadn't been working on this coinciding with a pandemic. Like we we first started talking about it, I think like four or five months before things struck. Or am I wrong? Or why am I chronology all wrong? When I can, give, we I can give you an exact, well, I, I remember- We started late very, 2020. So it was already um, happening. No, late 2019. Um, and it I was, can tell okay. you this because I remember having a very wonderful conversation with the with the four gentlemen of, of, of the laboratory while I was wandering the streets of, of Lebanon during the uprising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, right. And, and what's happening in as, as guards and, and um, military and police were wandering around me. So that was, uh, was that October 2019? Yeah, so it was like months before six months before things, you know, like hit North America in terms of like shutdowns and drastically changed our, our way of life. And... I think there was a sense that design interest in design fiction had already been there and had already been building. And then we were living in this moment that was just like fit for design fiction or yeah. was a design fiction, right? And I don't know if that added another layer of depth to the thinking behind it or more so it's just like this, we were already oriented toward this like atmosphere of like radical uncertainty, right? And, and here is this like great tool for playing with that right and probing at it and i think and maybe that just like is part of the process as well is that like this this horrible thing was unfolding in the background yeah and although we don't really you know we 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 acknowledge the pandemic explicitly in a few points but i don't think yeah i I can't i think the book would be very different if we weren't going through what we've gone through i I think you're right i think you're right i think in and i and i appreciated you bringing that that you're bringing the moment into the book very explicitly because there were a lot of, you know, people were having conversations, you know, within the, well, I mean, there were, there were perhaps the most broad conversations about like, what was a keyword? Resilience was a keyword. Um, there was there people talking about like uh, being able to, uh, you know, kind of, I what the exact terms of phrase were, but being able to imagine the things that you that probably for very complicated, actually probably very simple neurotic reasons you don't want to deal with, like there will be a pandemic, it's going to happen. And we yeah. knew that, right? We knew that yeah. whoever, whoever wanted to talk about it. Um, and th- there were films about it. 
There were probably like tons of three ring binders with studies and explorations of like contingency plans and all this kind of stuff. And then it happened. People were like, I don't think it's going to be that bad. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember, I remember, I remember, you know, um, when I heard it was like through my sister-in-law, um, who's a, who's a, she's a, she's a, a teacher in a, a, you know, big public school system. And she, I remember hearing her say like, yeah, they're talking about like locking everything down. I was like, no, I mean, how would they even do that? Like, what are you talking about? I'll lock things down. At the same time, I had this, I had this, this, this intense chill, like, oh my God, like, I can't even imagine that world. Like, what are you talking about? Like, how could that happen? And I think, I think part of the, maybe it was like, part of it is being able to respond to that chill, feel it as an emotion, and then be able to bring it to a point where it's, it's not, it's something that you can, you can talk about and, and, and work with and try to anticipate and feel into. And when it happened, right, when all the lockdowns happened, and when it was like, like this weird virulent bug that's kind of going around and like killing people and everything got crazy. Um, it was that moment where people, you know, all of a sudden people, what people couldn't imagine or refused to imagine because it just hurt too much or it seemed too crazy. It happened. It was like that example, like, yes, the future will arrive and it will slap you in the face. And it's not going to all be like just what you planned out your nice, financial forecast there's always going to be a sam bankman free there's always going to be a you know just these externalities that in in beautiful ways show you that the world's alive and you then then stop assuming that you've control over it but let's feel it all these weird things like what's what's yeah like the observation um i guess that that nick made early on i mean pulling from the future mundane ideas is like what what did when we did talk to each other. What were we talking about? Like baking bread and haircuts. It's like that. I mean, at one level anyway. Right. Yeah. And at the same time, there's like that. And this is, this is that where design fiction, it sits at an interesting tension and, and it comes up in the book. I mean, we also, you know, saw just like the disinformation unleashed. Mm-hmm. Right. And design fiction is always that in this awkward place where it doesn't announce itself as a fiction necessarily. And so, and as you know, from the story of the selfish lodger, we've, we've, we've seen what happens sometimes when a design fiction escapes from the lab and <laughs> it creates uh, confusion. And so I think, you know, not that your, the work is disinformation itself, but just the fact that these conversations about fact and fiction, um, conspiracy and, non-conspiracy um were just so palpable that it was yeah. sort of another level that i think that the book kind of was able to i don't know address itself to yeah yeah awesome any closing thoughts don't have to be closing would you thoughts? do anything differently julian you asked yeah. us yeah uh let's see would i do anything differently i wouldn't have done anything differently it felt good to have it felt good it it had been a long time since uh we had done a collaborative project you know it might even be like we've never done a collaborative project like where everyone was involved at the same level you know because just because of the the nature of the um
I don't think, you know, the things that I think I would have done differently are things that, that we'll just do, you know, I don't think it's something where it's like, oh, I wish I'd changed this. It's like, it gave, it, it generated so many ideas for, you know, ways of working like the, the current, like modality of the, the discord, the, um, uh, you know, ideas that sprung out of it that, that I think are more appropriate to do, um, you know, in, in, you know, in a kind of hived off collective as opposed to like kind of getting the gang together and that kind of thing. Um, so it was, it was exceptionally generative. I do. I don't, I don't think there's anything that I would change. There's only things that I would like add to not literally within the book, but around surrounding it. I think that's interesting because the, and maybe that's that fundamental difference between a monograph and whatever this thing is that we made is, you know, this isn't about looking back and proudly saying, here's everything we've done. And I go back to that 900 page thing, which was that, and is glorious for that in an overwhelming way. But what would you have got as practitioners yourselves out of doing that other than mm -hmm. something to say, look, here's what I've been doing for the past decade. Yeah. And I feel with this, for the four of you, but for me and Chris as well, and I think for the others involved, this felt like the start of something as much mm. as the end of something. Yeah. And I hope it feels like that for readers as well. God, that sounds like a marketing line, but I do mean it. <laughs> but don't you think it felt like a beginning, which is a, it's a good place for a book like this to be when you get to the end of it? Yeah, I feel like it, it feels it feels like a feels like a stake in the ground and it feels like a a door into the next evolution of the near future laboratory. That's what that's how I feel about it. Cool. Cool. Good stuff, you guys. Thank you for taking the time. You're welcome. Yeah, and thanks again for uh, trusting us to to do this big thing with you. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to the projects in the future, for sure. Yeah. It's hard to find yeah. people that you can work with, especially, I mean, as you guys know, in general, it's like finding a good handyman. Like, once you find them, you're like, you're sending them like a Thanksgiving turkey and stuff like, please stay alive. <laughs> so we're actually, this is like just a, like three years after we first started talking about this. It's now reality. Yeah. Three years of it. Yeah. Do you think it could have gone faster in any way or did it need to go the way it went? That's hard to say. I think it needed to go the way it went. I mean, just for variety, some of them practical reasons too, just in terms of other work, Yeah. you know, all of us had going on. But I mean, I think that first year, like 2020 was pretty intensively spent. Like most of it was, was, was like written and worked on, I'd say like through 2020, early 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there were times, yeah, it just, it took the time it, it needed to take. I think whether that was the editors needing some time to absorb and reflect back and, and, you know, figure out how things were settling. But um yeah, I know. I know. For me, anyway, it took the time it needed. That's a lot of work. Everybody up. That's a lot of work. Subtext here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think it could have gone any quicker. I, th I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure. In the midst of it, we all felt it could, but it takes what it takes. And yeah, I think, I think it's the end object feels like the result of that much labor and time and care, right? And yeah. We could have done the quicker version.
but I don't think we feel so great about it then. No. No. Cool. Thanks again, you guys. Thank you. Talk to you, uh, talk to you soon. All right, there they go. Patrick and Chris. Wonderful guys. Highly recommend their services if you ever need services. All right. So that was episode 56. Don't forget, you can support us over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Near Future Laboratory. I love when people support us because it helps us to continue to do this kind of work. And it's really good stuff. Also, if you join Patreon, you get a you get a special invite to our Discord, which is where all the magic happens. All right. Hope everyone's having a great holiday season. I'm Julian, and I'm out. <laughs>